a place to call home. If you look around at the city of Austin, Austin is a city of transplants and becoming more so. People are coming here from everywhere. If you get any Austin crowd together and you say, where are you from? You'll find very few locals, very few natives who are born here. But here's the thing about Austin. Something drew us here. Something drew me here. Something drew you here. The creativity of the city, the love of the arts, maybe, you know, the, the need to get out of Dallas. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe you just love tacos and you came here in search of great food. And this city has no shortage of great food. And so I, I, I think it's so, uh, such a big thing to realize that God is drawing people here. It's more than just taxes or the job market or being number one, two, or three on the every, everybody's best place to live list. I promise you, God has a purpose that's bigger than what we realize even now for all these people that are coming here from all around the country and from all over the world. God has a purpose. Don't complain about that traffic. <laughs> you know, you kind of drive in there, I can't stand this. They're so stupid, these people from California. Oh, don't get mad at the people from California. God has a purpose and a plan for them. God is doing something here in this city that is special. It is unique, and we have to lean into that. And so in a sense, today, I, I want to talk to you about how one chapel has been couch surfing over the last 10 years of our existence. Over the years, we've said that we turn secular places into sacred spaces. And I love that. I think that is one of our most important ideas because the truth is wherever you work or wherever you go to school or wherever you are in this city, it turns from a secular place to a sacred space because you're there and you carry the presence of God with you. But, but we've, we've had church in uh, movie theaters. We've had church in high schools. We've had church in commercial office buildings. We've signed leases. We've um, increased our number of services from time to time. We've planted three churches over the last five years. And think about this. Think about this. One Chapel Austin has been a set up and tear down church for nine and a half years. And uh, even though we are in this commercial, everybody sets up stuff out there. Oh, it takes a team to do that. And I appreciate those teams. Those teams, that, the sign team, big, big, big. Come on, give them a hand. I remember driving around Austin in 2010 and wondering where we were going to meet. Like, what kind of place are we going to be able to get in? Because Southwest Austin has relatively few places where a big group of people can join together every single week. And as I was driving around, I was like, God, just show me. I don't know where to go. I was new in the city. I was trying to figure it out. And I said, Lord, anywhere except a movie theater. <laughs> if we could avoid a movie theater, I can't stand it. It's sticky. It's nasty. It's gross. And... So on September 12th, 2010, we had our first service in the movie theaters at Barton Creek Square Mall. Right around the corner here. And 
And it was the right thing. Like God led us there. People kept coming in and out. Like, like they, who knew they had movies, $5 movies till noon, right? So people would come in and they're like going to the movies and we're like, hey, welcome to church. <laughs> we, had, we had our name tags. We've been doing that since the very beginning. We had coffee and the manager hated that we served free coffee because it was cutting in on his drinks. But we served them coffee and, and people would come up to me after the service and they say, Pastor, we came to this movie over here. It was so bad. It was so awful. We came to church. This is awesome that there's a church in a movie theater. This is our new church. That's how we got our elders. <laughs> just, kidding. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Here's what today's about. After a long journey, after a long time of figuring out where we're going to be, we finally found a place to call home. And I want to talk about that today. It's a church building right next door to Barton Creek Square Mall where we started, <laughs> which is so weird. I don't know if it's poetic or if it's prophetic, but it is something that is really cool about finding uh, a place to do ministry for our future right where we started. And we have some video of it, and I want to show you um, a little bit of video of the outside and the space. Here it is right here. Um, this is what the, the building looks like kind of in its current state. There's a big space here where families and people can gather and just hang out and, and eat lunch or whatever. Uh, there's an incredible property, seven and a half acres of property. Uh, you can see a big space there in the back behind it. You can see the parking in front. And uh, we'll have to have a parking team. Um, and, and so we're, we're, we'll have to park on the other space. But here it is. It's really amazing. The first time, the first time I drove on the property, I was like, oh. I was like, I was like, what is this place? Because I promise you, this place has been prayed over and worshiped in uh, aggressively for many, many, many years. Pastor Bill Hart and uh, Austin Cathedral has been there for a long time. God called him to come here and pray over this city and break open the heavens. That's what his assignment he felt like was. And they have prayed over this city. They've prayed in this building. Hey, let's go to the, let's go to the inside of the building. We had a worship night here uh, in the fall, and some of you were there. There's Wesley. What a handsome man he is. And, 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 and so we, 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 we had worship here. And some of you were at that worship service. You're like, why are we here? What is this? And you were like, oh, I think something's happening. And you're right. Some of you thought, you know, you said you knew, but you didn't know. You were just worshiping. And so there's a, here it is. There's Pastor Bill. Uh, what, a, what an incredible guy. Um, has been a blessing to this city um, in, in leadership and has, has been doing ministry here for almost 38 years. And uh, so I, I really want us to honor him. He and his whole church, he's encouraged his church to join our church family. So they're joining one chapel. And uh, Pastor Bill's going to go into a different season of his life, uh, a, a season where he doesn't have to carry the burden or the responsibility of senior pastoring anymore. And that's such a great thing. And there I am. Um, uh, I, and so I think, I, think the, I, just, I just want you to see, did you see the ceiling on that thing? Oh, so good. 
Do you know how long it's been since we had a high ceiling to worship God in? It's so amazing. And so, so this is really cool. I'll give you the stats on, on the church. One chapel, South Austin, the purchase price was $4 million. And that is a, an amazing thing because there's, a, there's lots of miracles here. It's a miracle that our church could um, find a building within a five-mile radius of this church. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that we could find a church, a place to meet in the five-mile radius that we could afford. (laughs) We can afford this. Um, Essentially, what we're looking at is that $4 million mortgage after we put money down and that kind of thing will be about the same cost as our current lease. Our current lease will go up next year, and it has gone up every year because that's just Southwest Austin. So essentially, this is an incredible space really close to us. The address, 3406 Tarleton Lane, Austin, Texas, 78746. So it's within the city limits. It's right sort of next door to its um, more hipper and cooler zip code, 78704. But, but it's right there on the border. And there's something uh, about this place. It's seven and a half acres of all kinds of trees and a beautiful space. And here I have a, I have a real, I got a kind of a revelation. I was thinking about how I wanted to be a blessing to these this neighborhood. I, I want this to feel less like a church and more like a community center that God's going to do something with to reach people. And so I thought about, I want I, I want a prayer garden and I want a walking path, also known as a prayer walk, that can be used as a running path for the neighbors. And they don't, they may not know how to pray, but you do. You can pray around it. And as they run around and walk around it, it's just going to be an awesome thing. I want them to treat it like a park. I want them to treat it like they're welcome. Does that make sense? That's really, uh, I think, has to be in the heart of what we're doing. Um, the space is 22,000 square feet plus 3,000 square feet of a duplex. Um, and there, there are people living there right now and they'll be in various stages of moving to their new uh, houses as we move in. Um, the seating capacity is about 700 chairs, which means we get about twice as many as we have here. And so that's really awesome. Um, we'll be closing and, and, and just, to, just to put a fine point on it, this is about 11,500 square feet that we have here in this strip. And so we're going to get twice as much square footage, right, to do anything we want to during the week. Like, this is what's so hard about being in a commercial office building. We love these neighbors. We've tried to be a blessing to them, but they get mad when we play music down here between 7 and 5. And so there's a thing here, and... Um, and we'll be closing on this new building on March 31. And uh, it's an amazing thing that God is doing here. And I want you to see that it's a miracle. I want you to participate in the miracle. I want you to treat it like we're going to find a place that we call home. And, and honestly, this is what all of us need, is a place to call home. This is a... This is a need for all of us. One of my favorite scriptures, a cornerstone scripture for one chapel is Psalm 68.6. And it says, God sets the lonely in families. There are lonely, disenfranchised, 
marginalized, struggling people all over this city that need a home. You were some of them. And you found a home. You found a place where God set you. And this is what we're creating together at One Chapel. This is what we're doing. Because you got to understand, it's not just about a church building. This, this really isn't just about a building, right? It's got to be about something beyond that. It has, there has to be a vision for the building that takes us beyond the building. It's about real relationships. I want you to think about the real relationships that can be made within that building, from best friends to people playing softball together, a place, think about this, a place where you could fall in love. It could be a chapel where you could get married. A chapel where you get, nobody wants to get married in a commercial office building, I promise. People actually might want to get married in this thing. You could meet your future spouse here. This could be the building where you dedicate your firstborn child. This could be the place where you watch your grandkids give their lives to Jesus. I want you to see that. You got to see what's ahead. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it in the message translation in Ephesians 2.19. He says, God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. But listen, it can't just be a home for us. It's got to be a home that opens its doors wide to the community around us. I mean, I want to I do things for the community in this building. I'd love to, like, host Girl Scout meetings. Not me personally. That would be weird. <laughs> that, would, that would be strange. It's getting at, I would love us to... <laughs> I would love us to host things like Girl Scouts, maybe respite training for foster families. Maybe um, we could host dialogues about race and about acceptance. Maybe we could provide a place for voting booths to, to, to have a place where people would come. Maybe we could create a food pantry. Maybe we could provide vacation Bible schools for all the neighborhoods surrounding this place where the love of Jesus and the laughter of people can fill their hearts. This is the kind of thing we have to think about. This is literally, One Chapel Austin, a huge move from where we are to where God wants us to be. Like this is the one time where it's literal. <laughs> We're literally moving. Because truthfully, there is something so powerful about permanence. Permanence, like making memories, putting your roots down. This is what this is. And make no mistake, we fought for, for this. We've fought through some really hard stuff over the last few years to get to permanence, to get to declaring, we're going to take territory. We're going to buy land. And something happens when you do that. 
something spiritual happens. And so there's a stability, there's influence, there's, there's this consistency that people start to witness. And we want this new home to be a blessing to the community around us. It can be a house of healing. It can be a location where love and life spill into the community. It should be a location where God's presence is experienced. Now, this is a pivotal move for one chapel. This will be the biggest move that we've ever made together. This will be the largest purchase we've ever made in the history of our church. And so it will require our existing family to pull together in ways that maybe we never have before. We need to pray with fervency. We need to partner financially and we need to prepare physically to make this happen. It's, it, it is a, there is a God-sized dream here. There's 10 campuses. There, there are, I think there's probably gonna be more, but, but at least 10 campuses all around this region that will dot the landscape of places where Jesus needs to be present in those neighborhoods. A family of neighborhood churches. This is a big dream and this is part of it because this new home will be a place to launch new campuses, plant new churches, to create new ministry initiatives that the Holy Spirit gives us ideas for that will help take the gospel to every man, woman, and child throughout the Austin region. That's what we're interested in. And I'm gonna ask you today, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit, real straightforward about what that, dream becoming a reality looks like. And I want you to lean into it. I'm asking you guys to jump into this next season with everything you have. So I'm gonna share with you a little bit about how to move forward. Turn in your Bibles if you have them. Turn on your Bible if you use your device or your phone and go to Exodus 35 because we're gonna read this a huge portion of scripture. And I was preparing for this message and I found this, this was part of the daily Bible reading in the one year Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard about that, but it's a really awesome thing to do to read the Bible every day. You will find things that pop out to you that you, you just didn't know were for you in this moment. And so this was the daily Bible reading earlier this week. Exodus 35, we'll start in verse four. I want you to read it with me, lean in with me, and we're going to read the whole thing. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. Oops, sorry, I started in the wrong verse. Verse four, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. I think we can leave now. This is all you need to know. No, we gotta keep going. Verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, bases, the ark. Sounds like set up and tear down church. This is the original set up and tear down church. The tabernacle was a set up and tear down location that moved around. 
It says with its arcs and, arc and poles, the stone, the atonement cover and curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles, the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for light and its accessories, lamp and oil for light, the altar of the incense with poles, the anointing oil, the fragrance incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the, count, of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance of the courtyard, a lot of curtains. We, we set up and tear down a lot of curtains in our history. The tent pegs for the tabernacle, the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for mis- ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest and the garments of his sons when they serve as priests. Now here's where I want you to see. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting. For all its service, And for the sacred garments, all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. All the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. I love that. Some of you need to practice up on your spunning of the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. There's something really powerful in this passage that I want to dial into. And I've observed over the years amazing things being done, amazing, astonishing achievements, even in small congregations when everybody gets involved praying, giving, and serving. And I want to highlight this for you. That's what really, the truth be told, we got a, it was a massive undertaking to set up this tabernacle. It's been a massive undertaking to set up this church over the years. We're going to take all our stuff and it's going to be a massive undertaking to really move into this new home. And they achieved it. They achieved this, th- these things through collaborating and cooperating with the entire community. And the truth be told, every church needs this. Every church needs these ideas. Number one, everyone praying. Just two chapters earlier from this, it's, de- it's described how the, everyone stood and worshiped at the entrance of their tents. They worshiped together. They prayed together. Just at the beginning of this chapter, he talks about the Sabbath day and how it's a day of rest and worship, and they all practiced that Sabbath together. This is something we must do as a church to really understand where God is taking us and what he's trying to do with us. And we got to have everybody joining in in two weeks. Everybody say two weeks. Two weeks from today, Sunday night, we're going to join at Austin Cathedral. We're going to join them. All their people are going to be there. Our people are going to be there. We're going to have their worship leader, Darren Shaw. He's going to join us. And they, and, and you understand, they're joining our church. So this is like them having a new family. So you really need to be nice. And you need to welcome them. 
and, and, and they're going to join us, and we're going to worship together at 6 p.m. on that Sunday, and I want you to come. I, it'll be our chance to consecrate. It'll kind of be our last chance before all the renovation starts to consecrate that building for its future use. So let's come together for that. Number two, everyone giving. Everyone giving. It says they took up an offering for the Lord. Everyone was urged to give in verse five. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. And now I want you to see that as as it's described, I read all that stuff for a purpose. Because there's a lot of stuff there. And I want you to notice that the task was not achieved by one generous donor. It wasn't achieved by one guy with some bucks in his pocket. Verse 21 and 22 says, And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work. All who were willing, men and women alike. If one chapel is to achieve its purpose as a community, it's going to take all of us. We need everyone. Everyone, not under compulsion, but willingly is what this passage says. Willingly, because God's really interested in your obedience for sure. He's interested in obedience, but you know what? He's, he's not just interested in doing the right thing if the motivation is wrong. That was the religious leaders of Jesus's day. They had it down to a science. They knew every technicality. They did all the right things, but their hearts were far from him. What God wants is willingness, willingness to follow him, willingness to surrender to him, willingness to do what he's doing. And I think it's so significant. This is what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. Decided in your heart to give. Listen, I'm not going to tell you a bunch of sad stories. I'm not going to try to manipulate you emotionally. I want you to pray and I want you to decide with your mind, with knowing what faith looks like for you. And I want you to decide in your own heart to give, not reluctantly, like, okay, I guess I'll do this. Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to find the joy in this process. He wants you to help your pastor find the joy in this process. (laughs) God, verse eight says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, big powerful verse here, you will abound in every good work. Here's the truth, one chapel. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I don't want something for me. I want something for us. Like, I don't want, I want want something that God is doing here that is powerful, incredible. And I want you to see this. After this passage, and they all bring their stuff. They all, they all get their stuff, and they spin the goat hair, and they do all this stuff, and they bring it all to God. Are you still with me? Did you tune out? Because we went to goat hair and died stuff and it, okay now listen or or is it we're talking about money and you're like mm. <laughs> to be honest i don't like this subject either i think it's misconstrued a lot i think whenever it's always the first time that somebody came to church and oh you talked about money and listen this is not my most comfortable subject but i do believe that our money matters to god and it is really the one thing that most often gets in the way of 
worshiping him, of surrendering to him. So I, I think it's mandatory that we talk about it. So I want you to see in, in chapter 36 what happens. They're all bringing their stuff. It's all coming. And suddenly, verse, 30, verse 5 in, in chapter 36, it says, as everyone got involved giving, they had more than enough, is what the passage says. It says in verse 6 and 7, the people were ordered to stop bringing offerings. <laughs> stop. Br- Imagine being in a church where the pastor stood up and said, whoa, 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 stop bringing the offerings. That'd be so awesome. Let's do that. There was plenty of material for all the work to be done, enough and more than enough. Here's what I know about God. He's more than enough for you. He's more than enough for me. Everyone praying, everyone giving, and then everyone serving. Everybody's got to get involved in this thing. The words everyone and all appear many times in this passage, and it's entirely voluntary. It says in verse 24, and all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. I I like that verse. (laughs) They They were just willing to use whatever skills they had. Whatever skills they had, they brought them. Whatever abilities they had, they they gave it to the Lord, and it was all uh, voluntary. The people, in the Amplified Bible, it says they were stirred up by God. Stirred up for God is what it actually says, specifically. The task was achieved by everyone whose heart was roused, whose spirit was freely responsive, the Message Bible says. If we were to achieve what God is calling us to do, one chapel, we're going to have to stir one another up. We're going to have to stir each other up to pray, to to give, and to serve. And that's really going to be important because we're going into a renovation period now with this building. We'll close on uh, March 31st, and then April 1 will begin our renovation. And this building is about 30 years old and hasn't been significantly remodeled in a long time. And uh, we've been drawing up plans. We've been having discussions. We're, we're getting everything together. We'll hire a head contractor. And about, for about three to five months, that thing will undergo a process. And the cost of the renovations will be somewhere between $750,000 $750, and a million dollars. And we'll plan to move in September 13th, 2020, on our 10-year anniversary. <laughs> Which is really fun. So this is what it's going to take. So here, let, me, let, me, let me shape this for you. This is what it's going to take to make our house a home. I want you to see where we're going on this. Phase one is we're going to do auditorium, lobby, and elevation. So that's your fill in the blank there. We're going to make sure the auditorium and the space where we gather to worship is done. And the lobby, our hope is to have a little cafe place where you can get coffee and and some sitting areas and all kinds of outdoor space right outside the door. And and we want to to make a space where people can connect. And I don't know if you know this, but like there are more than two services at one chapel. There's a third service. We call it Lobby Church. <laughs> a bunch of you have gone to Lobby Church a lot. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even mean to, but you get in a conversation about somebody, something that's going on in somebody's life, and you're like, I guess I went to Lobby Church today. I'm, I'm a fan of Lobby Church because sometimes I think what's happening out there may be even more spiritual than what happens in here. Maybe. So 
I want a space where that can happen. And I want you to see that we've already secured that $400,000 it's going to take to do that. We've, you, we've already saved it. We've already, we've already got our, our way forward on $400,000 of that number that we're going to put into this building. And so we're going to start on that April 1st. And then as we go through it, phase two, we'll end up being uh, one chapel kids rooms, one chapel kids rooms, all the kids stuff. Listen, the most important thing we can do for the next generation is invest in them, having the best toys, having the best stuff, the place, play places, this, that, that thing where we invest in the, in the next generation by teaching them the Bible, helping them understand and discover who Jesus is, it is the thing that's going to determine our future, right? The future of the church in our culture in America. That's going to take about $200,000, we think, and, and it, there needs to be some flow changes to the building and, and making that place a, a real place where kids can enjoy, families can, can enjoy what's going on. And then phase three will be offices, offices, and I, this is where the prayer walk and the garden and all that stuff comes into play. And I, we think that'll take about 150. Maybe, maybe it'll take less. Uh, but, but by then, we'll kind of know where we are. We'll know the surprises. I've watched enough HGTV to know there will be some surprises. And, 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 and there, will be, there will be a little, a, a few misses here and there, and we'll manage the budget the best way we can. That's a target of raising 350000 before December 31st. April 1 to December 31. And so... so even though I think it, it feels sometimes uncomfortable to talk about money, I think I want you to hear me that I'm not going to spend more than we have. I want you to think of it like a family that's moving into a new house. And whenever you move into a new house, there's always a temptation. What's the temptation? You're moving into the house, you want to fill it with furniture that you don't have money for. <laughs> and so you put a couch on a credit card. It's the worst thing you could do. I got it on sale. Oh, no, you paid twice as much over 10 years. It, was, it doesn't work. It's bad. Don't do it. So, so, so I'm not going to put a bunch of stuff on credit. We're going to do what we can do together. Whatever we can do together. And as always, our vision will move at the speed of our generosity. Vision for what God wants to do can move, and, we, and listen, our vision is much bigger than even, um, you know, we, we all even realize to go beyond just this one church. And you need resources to do, to execute the, that vision. But, we, but our, our vision moves at the speed of our ability to, to do it. And so that's a really important thing to know. And I, I but I, when, as you think about that, I don't want you to just kind of settle on, oh, it's kind of heavy on my responsibility. I want you to see something really cool here in Mark chapter eight. This is a story of Jesus and what he did. I want you to see this. In verse one, it says, during those days, another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? And look what Jesus says in verse five. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. 
And they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks to them also, or he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Verse nine, check it out. About 4,000 were present. It was a miracle of multiplication. With seven loaves and a few small fish, Jesus Jesus fed 4,000 people. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus didn't do the miracle until he first involved his disciples. I want you to see that this incredible multiplication kind of started with a conversation with his disciples about the need. And he called them over and explained what he wants to do. He allows them to think their way towards a solution. He doesn't just do it. Perhaps he was hoping, Jesus was probably hoping that the disciples would remember that he had just done this earlier with 5,000 people. But as is typical for the disciples, they were like, where are we going to get food? He then enlists their help. He enlists their help by asking them for the food that they have. He says, what do you got? What do you got? Let's see what you got. And then he uses what they have to do the miracle. He doesn't do it without what they have. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, you have to do it. He says, what do you have? And then he takes it and does a miracle. And he distributes all this food. Here's what I want you to get today. Jesus loves to involve you and me in his plans and his purpose and his work. And the disciples' role seems fairly small when in relationship to the massive miracle that happened. They had some little bread then a few loaves of bread and it's a few fish. And that wasn't much. And God did this incredible thing. I want you to get this. Whatever you give to God, he multiplies. Whatever you give to God, he multiplies. Here's a little story to illustrate that. Hattie Mae Wyatt. I love this little girl, six-year-old girl. She lived near Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Sunday school was very crowded. Russell H. Conwell was the pastor, the minister. He told, she told him one, or sorry, he told her that one day they would have buildings large enough to allow everyone to attend Sunday school. And she said, I hope you will. It's so crowded. I'm afraid to go there alone. And he replied, when we get the money, we will construct one large enough building to get all the children in. Now, two years later, in 1886, after, the, uh, the, the, after all this had kind of transpired and they're, they're working through this, Hattie May died. And after the funeral, Hattie May's mother gave the minister a little bag. And they had found it under their daughter's pillow. It had contained 57 cents. 57 cents in change that she'd been saving up. And alongside it was a note in her handwriting. And the note said, to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. The minister changed all the money into pennies and offered each one for sale. 
He received $250 and 54 of the cents were given back. So the $250 was itself changed into pennies and sold by the newly formed Wyatt Might Society. In this way, her 57 cents kept on multiplying. 26 years later, in a talk entitled The History of the 57 Cents, the minister explained the results of her 57 cent donation. A church with a membership of over 5,600 people. A hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated. 80,000 young people going through university. 2,000 people going out to preach the gospel. All this happened because Hattie Mae Wyatt invested her 57 cents. I'd like to suggest to you that the theme of the scriptures that runs through the entire Bible is multiplication. That what you cannot achieve by addition, God achieves by multiplication. And you, you always reap what you sow. That's scriptural. You reap what you sow. But do you get a one for one? When you have one apple seed, do you get one apple back? No. You get an apple tree. You get dozens of apples and the potential for many more apples to come. There's something in God's economy that's different. What you give to the Lord, he multiplies. It's built into the idea of creation. And that's why I can talk to you straightforward about what God wants you to do. With integrity in my heart, I, I understand how big the task is but I don't want you to see the task being so big and then kind of self-select out because you're like, well, I'm not wealthy. I can't really do anything to make a difference. No, no, and no. That's the wrong way to think. As one pastor said, that's stinking thinking. So what can I do? Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. You can become a percentage giver. Some of you are like, what is that? <laughs> what that means is you take a percentage of your income, whatever you have, and you take a percentage and you give that percentage every single paycheck. And you give it first. That's kind of the biblical way, is you give him what belongs to him first, what belongs to God first. It's your first and your best. And that's kind of the biblical idea. And the biblical standard that's talked about a lot is 10%. That's called a tithe. That's, that's 10%. And some of you are sitting right here and you're like, I could never get there to 10%. But I wanna, I wanna suggest to you a couple things. Number one, there's some of you sitting here that can go beyond 10%. I'm gonna ask you to do that during this season. I'm gonna ask you to make an investment beyond that because you can. And whatever the Lord puts on your heart to give. But for those of you who are struggling to figure out, could I actually do this? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start with 1%. Do the math. Even the fact of sitting down and doing the math is faith. The act of sitting down, doing the math, here's how much I make. I know, I know you don't do this much anymore. We all have debit cards, and so we don't balance our checkbooks, and we're just like, spend, spend. So I think I have it. I think it's going to be okay. Overdraft protection, the bane of our existence. I want you to sit down and decide what's 1% and give that to God. And then the next month, I want you to do 2%. Give that to God. The next month, 3%, 4%. The next few months, 5%. After 10 months, I promise you, something will not only have changed in your 
finances. But the most important thing is something will have changed in your heart. I I promise you, take the challenge. Become a percentage giver. Because listen, listen, truthfully, in the Bible, we're encouraged to be generous people. God was generous with us, and we, we were supposed to be generous with other people. And so here's the thing. Here's the truth you gotta, you got to leave with today is tithing is kind of training wheels for generosity. You want to be a generous person? Tithing is kind of where you start. And you figure out how to live like that. And and you figure out how to, and something happens in your life. And if all of us will practice this kind of percentage giving, then there's nothing we can't do. No need we cannot meet. We'll meet every need. There's no building we can't buy if everyone participates. There's no outreach we can't do. There's no social problem we can't solve. I want you to see that. That's really true. Because of the way it works when everybody participates. So become a percentage giver. Number two, pray about a one-time offering. If you are already a tither and you give regularly, ask the Lord what you should give in a special offering on, March, or on May 31. May 31, I just want you to pray about it and simply give what God encourages you to give. I'm going to update you over the next several Sundays and months, and, and I'm going to tell you how things are going, but no, no manipulative things will be said or done. I want you to pray. I don't want you to do it out of emotion. I want you to do it out of obedience and out of a heart that's willing. Everybody say willing. Willing. I think you, we got to do what each of us can do. Don't, don't think, oh, the number's so big, I can't do that. Do what you can do, and God will multiply it. Number three, get creative with in-kind donations. This is a big thing that's kind of untapped that people don't think about. There's stuff in your attic that you need to sell. Those end tables that are antique, you think you're going to use them. You never will. The baseball card collection, it's nice, but let's be honest. You could, you could sell that and make an investment in a legacy that becomes your legacy and, and the legacy of one chapel, a place where people experience God. Maybe you, give, maybe you have an inheritance, you wanna give a, a piece of that. Um, it could be just about anything. You find something, you can turn into a donation and create a lasting legacy and then offer uh, some type of service or skill. Some of you have skills that you, relatively few of you have goat hair spinning skills. So you have to, you have to think about what you have and your expertise, maybe personally or even from your business. You can make a, a donation from your business. Maybe if you're a small business owner, you can donate some office furniture, you, you some barely used office furniture. You, you, can, you can do all kinds of things like that. Now listen, everybody, I want you to see that this is the task ahead of us. But we gotta settle what this is really about. And that's why we're gonna come to the Lord's table as our final act of worship today. 